morning. Uh, once again, thank you so much for being here. Um, and if you've got your Bibles or its device, go ahead and open to Romans chapter 4. It's that um, third reading, or the, I guess the second real reading, but right after the psalm we read Romans chapter 4, the story of uh, the promise to Abraham. Um, there's some stuff in there that we're going to talk about today. And um, I want to call your mind back to last week if you were here, and if you weren't, I want to summarize a little bit that last week we talked about um, original sin. We talked about this idea that in Adam, uh, through the transgression of Adam, the uh, sin problem, the sin curse, the sin infection came into the world. So sin came into the world through the sin of, uh, through the, the transgression and disobedience of Adam, that first man. And through that sin then came death into all the world. And it spread to all people. And, and we talked about how Paul teaches we are uh, a part of that. We're not just victims of it. We're actually participants in it. We are uh, sinners who are guilty and are under the curse of sin and therefore under death. And that doctrine of original sin is really important because we have to understand what's really wrong with us as humans if we're going to understand the, the solution and the cure that God provides in Jesus Christ. I talked about my eyeballs and how I had... Uh, glasses when really I needed these specific contacts to fix my vision. And once I got those, I could actually see even better than 2020. I'm wearing them right now. And they help. But before I got them, I wasn't addressing the right problem. Well, Jesus addresses a specific problem that we will appreciate when we understand the problem. So today, in these readings, we see the answer to that problem. Today, we see the answer to that problem. And I love how it is just this perfect one-for-one one that there's the problem of sin and then there's the answer of salvation. And here's what we're going to talk about today. In place of guilt, God gives us justification. God justifies us. In place of guilt, God justifies us. And then in place of the curse, God gives us the blessing of Abraham. And then in place of death, God gives us life in the Spirit. In place of guilt, we are justified. In place of the curse, we are blessed. In place of death, we are given life. We're going to walk through all three of those. Um, if you've ever been in some kind of like course and you've talked about the doctrines of salvation, you could spend weeks talking about these things. We're going to try and go through them in 25 minutes. So here we go. In uh, Romans chapter 4, where we're going to be spending the majority of our time before we jump back to John 3, uh, Paul has just finished establishing in chapter 3 the problem of sin that we talked about. And, and in this problem of sin, no one goes free. Like, none is righteous. All have turned aside from God. None of us do good perfectly. We lie. We speak venomous and angry things. Uh, we don't seek peace. And so, trying to be counted righteous by observance of the law, the Jewish law, this is what he's referencing at the time, is going to end in judgment and death because no one can actually do it. And regardless of what law system you live under, you're never going to be able to perfectly obey that law. And so he says, by works of the law, no human being will be justified or counted righteous or in the right in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So what does it mean to be justified then? How can we be justified? What is God's solution if there's nothing that we can do to then attain that righteousness under, under any kind of uh, moral requirements, what is it that God does? Look what he says in, in Romans 4, 4. Skip down to verse 4. He says, uh, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then in verse 4, 
to the one who works, his wages are counted as a gift, or not counted as a, uh, a gift, but as his due. He's referring to the system of pay or wages. So if you work for something, we have to establish something here. If you work for something and you're paid for that thing that you work for, you're not being given anything special. You'll be given what's just, right? So uh, if you work 10 hours and you're paid 10 hours, that's just. If you're given a bonus, that's grace. That's merciful. Um, if you do good work, you keep your job. If you do bad work, you might get fired. That's not unjust. That's just. Um, in the spiritual business, if you do good works and righteous deeds all the time, your pay would be, your wage from God would be eternal life. That's what was offered actually to Adam and Eve. But if you sin, death is the wage. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin, the payment of sin is death. So the just verdict on someone who sins is the verdict of guilty and the just payment is death. So you might think, really, if I sin one time, the payment is death? Well, let's talk about this. Am I really guilty in my life if I sin one time? I have a whole life of righteousness. What's an example that's really easy? Um, driving, for instance, a driving record. Let's say you're driving 56 in a 50 or 54 in a 50. You're like, I'm in that comfortable, like no cop ever pulls you over for more than five over, right? Like, I'm safe at that point. I'm kind of, whatever, I'm good. Okay, so let's say he pulls you over. 54 in a 50, and you go, come on, man, do you have anything better to do? Like, I'm going 54 in a 50. I've got kids in, you know, car seats. I'm like taking home milk and eggs. Like, I'm not running, a, you know, running stuff I shouldn't be running. Okay, can, can you, should you be let go? Well, hey, it's contextual, right? Like for me, I got pulled over like 41 times between the age of 16 and 22. He's going to look at my record. He's going to look at my record and he's going to say, son, I'm not, in fact, this happened to me. I got pulled over by, I lived in the country where there were fewer cops on, on duty. I got pulled over by the same police officer four times in a year and a half span. Four times. First time, well, I won't tell you why, but by, by time number three, he called my dad and said, you know, he thought my dad was going to take care of it. My dad did, you know, give me consequences, but then I didn't fix things. The fourth time, he rolled down, I rolled down the window and he just kind of stood there and he goes, you know, I'm going to have to give you a ticket, right? I said, yes. You know, I knew. At that point, it's like, the context there is like, I'm not going to let you go. But really, was he being just by letting me go the first time? No, he wasn't. What if you had a perfect record? What if you weren't like that? What if you had a perfect record and no citations? Well, since you have such a clean record, it's funny because I had such a bad record in Ohio. When I moved to Texas, the first time I got pulled over, they said, since you have such a clean record, we're going to let you go. <laughs> That's right, state hopping, that doesn't get transferred over. It's not a federal crime to speed, it's a state crime. They can't, it's like I still have outstanding parking tickets at Ohio University, I don't have to pay those, I'm not there. So we, <laughs> that's not true. It is true that I have those parking tickets. It's not true that I shouldn't have paid them. <laughs> so, but what if, what if not only did you have a clean record, but in actual fact, you had never violated on purpose or accident any traffic law. You, you had been a perfect driver for 50 years, and then one time, you're going 54 and a 50, and he gets you. Should you get off? Should you get off? Should you be given a warning? The just thing that he is uh, justified to do under the law is give you a citation, and there's nothing you can say about that legally, even if socially it's weird. In the same way, 
no matter how good we think we've been or have actually been, the reality is that we're all guilty. And anytime we sin, we are then guilty and as a, as a result of that guilt, liable to death. And so we are reckoned guilty apart from Christ. But here's what he does in verse 5. It says, to the one who, uh, sorry, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. You see that? So if you're trying to work for your righteousness, what's going to happen is you're going to be counted guilty. Your account is going to show that you are guilty and therefore deserve death. But if instead of trying to work for your righteousness, what you do is you believe in God and you believe his promises, just like Abraham did, and you believe in Jesus Christ, what God does is he doesn't count your iniquities. He doesn't count your sin. He doesn't count those against you. He counts your faith as righteousness to your account. Does that make sense? So you're not counted, those things are not counted against you anymore. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you are accounted as righteous and in the right and holy and pure before God. This is called justification. This is called being justified or being put in the right before God. And that restores right relationship with God. That restores your inheritance into the kingdom as we're about to see. And so you are, um, this, is, this is a fundamental doctrine of our church. Everything depends on it because you can't earn that salvation. You can't earn that righteous standing before God. It has to be given to you. It has to be declared over you because of your faith by God. Men and women have literally died for this doctrine. <laughs> we do not earn our righteous standing before God for our salvation. It's given to us. Our sin, that sin that, that was ours, was paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross, and we are given righteousness instead. This is justification by faith. So in place of guilt, God justifies us, Paul teaches here. So second, We've been justified by faith, but second, in place of Adam's curse, we are given the blessing of Abraham, the blessing of Abraham. So Paul then makes a move in this, this, this uh, passage, after he talks about this being counted righteous by faith, he makes a move to talk about the blessing that is given to us by God. So remember when Adam is told, don't do the thing, if you do the thing, you will die. And so when he does the thing, God comes in and there's a curse, there's a whole it's like half a chapter, he's talking about the curse that comes on the ground and on childbearing and on the man, the sweat and the toil of his brow. And he, uh, uh, we live under that curse today. We live under that curse in this world. And in place of that curse, we're given the blessing of Abraham. Look what he says um, in verse 6. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. He says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will count not his sin. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? That's, is it only for those who are, who are ethnically Jewish, descendants uh, physically of Abraham, or is it also for all people? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he was circumcised? Was it before or after he became, quote, Jewish or was called to be the father of the Jewish people? It was not after, but before. So here's, here's what he's doing. Paul's doing it. It's a genius move in the flow of his argument. He references a passage from, from Psalm 32 where he says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And he's doing that to, to support the idea that your lawless deeds can be forgiven by faith 
and you are justified. But that blessing points back to something that's not just a, a, a basic statement about being given good things by God. Because uh, what would it mean to be blessed? I mean, you could say that God gives us good weather, God gives us a good house, God gives us good relationships, like God gives us good things, right? There could be this generic understanding of what it means to be blessed. But in the biblical story, this word of blessing carries a much larger connotation. When God made Adam and Eve, he said he blessed them, and he said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it. There's this, uh, this original blessing that came at the creation of mankind. And then uh, when that fell and didn't work out, and there was sin after sin after sin, God called uh, Abraham out, and he said, you go, and if you go, I will bless you, and through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This is the thesis statement of the whole story of the entire Bible, the blessing of Abraham. Because when Jesus comes as the seed of Abraham, what he's doing for us and for the whole world is actually extending that blessing into the whole world. That original blessing is restored and then actually improved upon. So instead of the curse, the fall of the, the curse of the fall, in Christ, the blessing through Abraham and the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus, now comes to the whole world. He says to him, go to that land and I will bless the whole world through you. And this blessing comes to us. Paul says, has taken this verse which says you are blessed if your sins are forgiven, and he's linked it up with that grander biblical story saying, the justification from God by faith alone signals not just some generic blessing, but the blessing from Abraham through the seed of Abraham, who is Jesus Christ. And who gets this blessing from God? This was a debate even in Jesus' time. Is it just those who are perfect observers of the law? Going back to that question. Is it just those who are ethnically children of Abraham? Is it just those who, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Whatever culture you're in, like who gets to have this blessing? And Paul's thing, and Paul's argument, his final verdict is who the people who get to have this blessing are those who have faith in Jesus Christ and believe in God's word as Abraham did. That blessing is given to you. This is what verses 9 through 12 argue. Look at verse 11. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Abraham didn't get this blessing after he was circumcised, after he became a covenant father of the Jewish people. He received that blessing before. Why? The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well, not just to those who are physical descendants. So here we have in this room, we have people, I have friends from China, we have people here from Nigeria, we have people here from uh, the middle, uh, from a, a Mediterranean region, I'm a descendant of people from uh, uh, Macedonia, we have a Lebanese person on staff, like all over the world. And we're all given access across those boundaries to the father of faith, Abraham himself. This is the story of the Bible. If you want to be in the kingdom, you have to be in Abraham. I know this is like weird categories, but this is the story of the Bible. Believe in Jesus, you become a child of God and an heir of the promise to Abraham to be an heir of the whole world. This is what it says in verses 13 through 14. It says, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For, it is the, for if it's the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. So if you're going to try and just be an heir of the kingdom through your, your deeds, then you don't need to believe. 
But if it's through faith, then it rests on grace. Then it rests on grace. So, in place of the curse, God gives us the blessing of Abraham, which is the inheritance of the kingdom of God in the new heavens and the new earth that comes to those who are children of Abraham through faith. Does that make sense? So Abraham is given the promise that that he would be given land and blessing and offspring. And through Jesus Christ, all people now have an opportunity through faith to enter into that inheritance, which is in Jesus Christ, the inheritance of the kingdom in the whole world when it's renewed. That blessing is different than you're going to die and you're going to work the soil and sweat. There's going to be thorns and it's going to work against you and then you're going to go into the ground and nothing else will happen. No, there's a promise of a future. There's a promise of blessing. So in place of uh, guilt, we get justification. In place of curse, we get blessing. Lastly, in place of death, we get life. We go over to John chapter 3. get a really provocative conversation between a ruler of the Jews and Jesus. I love it. Nicodemus comes up by night. He's trying to be sneaky. And he says, Rabbi, he's trying to be, he's trying to start with the bureaucratic approach. We know that you're a teacher from God. No one can do these signs unless God's with them. Jesus like completely ignores the, the comment, doesn't he? What does he say? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless One is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's jarring, right? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Um, My wife's about to have our third child. I've gotten to be a part of two births thus far. Um, I don't think that going back in is preferable. (laughs) Especially... It's like the difference of six ounces or like one pound is like huge in this experience, right? Like imagine an old man that it's not, it doesn't work. Like it's, it's, complete, it's complete folly and foolish. He's like, what are you talking about, Jesus, be born again? And he's saying, his response is, no, 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 no. I'm not saying to be born again physically. I'm not saying to be born again physically. I'm saying you need to be born again spiritually. See, what comes from the flesh is flesh. And flesh can't inherit the kingdom of God. But what comes from spirit is spirit, and spirit can inherit the kingdom of God. You need, you're dead in your spirit and in your flesh, and you need new life in the spirit if you're to inherit the kingdom of God. If you are to be justified by God and then be an heir of the kingdom through Abraham, through Christ, and through Abraham, and by God, then it means you must be born again by the spirit as well. You must be born again by the Spirit as well. And what does it mean to be born again by the Spirit? Well, we just said it's not of the flesh, so this isn't something just like our righteousness. Our new life isn't something that we can just drum up by ourselves. It's not more effort. It's not more exercise or more blueberries and kale and more antioxidants. Like It's not about those kinds of things of trying to get new life and, and maximize hormonal balance or whatever. It's not, it's not a health thing. It's not a body thing. God has to, at the end, resurrect our bodies. No, this is a spiritual gift. This is a spiritual regeneration that has to be given us by God. It's a supernatural action of the Holy Spirit to create in us new spiritual life that will then one day result in also new physical life. This is regeneration by the Holy Spirit. 
And it's not from the will of man, but it's from the will of God. And when this happens, when you're born again of God, you are then made a child of God and an heir uh, with Jesus Christ of the kingdom. This is the gospel answer to death. So in place of guilt, we have justification. And in place of the curse of toil and of death and of, of, of strife, we have the blessing of eternal life in the kingdom of God. And instead of death, we are given new life by the Spirit through Jesus Christ. And this is supernatural rebirth that comes from God. And that eternal life, at the end of the day, we're breaking this down to talk about the different parts, but it's just like big uh, metaphor salad. Like if you call, what were we having? Oh, we were having dessert. Um, and it was like a, a Buckeye dessert. So there's like chocolate chips and, and cream cheese and peanut butter and it's kind of mixed together. And we called it, what do we call it? Buckeye salad? Yeah, Buckeye salad. If you call it anything that's like a mixture of stuff, like you go to your grandma's house and like jello salad and it's got fruit in there. Like this is metaphor salad. Really in the, in the kingdom, the blessing is the spirit, is the righteousness, is the salvation. Like it's this whole thing that God has done together to make us heirs of the kingdom and give us life together with him. And it's this beautiful act of God that we can't earn, that we can't work out ourselves, but it has to be given to us by God through Jesus Christ and in the Holy Spirit. This is the gospel. This is the good news and the answer to the problem of sin. So in conclusion, over the last two sermons, we've seen the problem of human sin and death answered by the problem of God's justifying free grace and blessing and new life in the spirit. In the place of guilt, God will justify you and make you righteous before him when you believe in Jesus Christ. You don't have to earn it. The doctrine of justification by faith is ultimately the good news that you don't have anything to prove to God. You don't have to prove yourself to God. You have to simply come and throw your faith on him. And he gives you freely the righteousness and the blessed life that you were made to have. And instead of the curse, God gives you the blessing of Abraham, which is his favor and his fatherly care, and it's this entrance into the kingdom of God, which you've now become an heir of. And then in place of uh, death, God gives you new life by the Spirit in Jesus Christ. This is a supernatural movement of regeneration and rebirth that is not brought about by human action or human will or any sort of like exercise regime or regiment regime. Um, regiment, there is actually an exercise regime in our world, I feel like. It's, a, it's dominating us and we all feel like we have to get ahead and take supplements and pills and medicine is king. No, at the end we all die. What we need to be given is new life by the Spirit which will one day result in resurrection from the dead. This new life makes you a child of God because you've been begotten by God in the Spirit. John Donne is a poet, uh, was, a, was a pastor, poet, preacher, who was converted uh, in the middle of his life. And he has a, a poem called Hymn to God, My God, in My Sickness. And it's, it's uh, actually a poem about dying, but in the middle of it, he captures what we're talking about really clearly and really succinctly. Um, the second to the last stanza, he says this. We think that paradise and Calvary, Christ's cross and Adam's tree stood in one place. Look, Lord, and find both Adams met in me. As the first Adam's sweat surrounds my face, may the last Adam's blood my soul embrace. At the end of the day, 
our fallen, sinful state in, in Adam is overcome and healed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are given righteousness, we are given um, an inheritance, and we are given life by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the blood of Jesus. This happens to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.